When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Agency for Agents, a podcast for real estate team leaders and independent brokerage owners looking to maximize profits, effectiveness, and gain freedom for their team and business. Your hosts, Christine Andreasen and Aaron Hendon, have been running one of the most successful real estate teams in the Seattle area for more than eight years. They know building a winning team means finding ways to empower, nurture, train, and develop individual agents to discover their own power their own agency. On the podcast, Christine and Aaron interview thought leaders in real estate and personal growth to help you impact both your performance and your teams. We know it takes a lot and leaders and brokers that crack that code reap the rewards of success greater than any they could ever achieve on their own. All right. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. Our guest today is Chris Miles. Aaron and I are both super excited to have Chris be on the show today. Chris is the founder of Money Ripples, the host of the Chris Miles Money Show, and co-author of the book Entrepreneur on Fire. I love it. He helps people quickly create wealth by increasing monthly cash flow and creating what is Aaron and I's favorite income, passive income, right? Chris has been featured in U.S. News, CNN Money, and Bankrupt.com. Bankrate.com. There you go. I got that out. Easy for you to say, see. Yeah, exactly. Many clients uh, have the option to retire in less than five to 10 years. And Chris himself, Chris, I loved this part. You've retired twice now, right? Yeah. Retired twice by the age of 39. So one of the things we're so excited about is that Chris is passionate about helping entrepreneurs and high income employees as well be financially prosperous, right? And fixing their money leaks and creating passive income. Great. So Aaron and I are super excited to be with you. Welcome to our show. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here. Yeah. Great, Chris. Oh, well, let's just start. I'd love to get a little bit of the origin story. You know, you know, you went from being a sociology major uh-huh. over at BYU, and now you are a wealth creating expert, you know, retired before 40. How'd that happen? Yeah. It's funny you said BYU because I actually got accepted at BYU twice and turned them down twice. You know, oh. <laughs> oh, you, you didn't go to Brigham Young? Nope. Nope. I went to uh, Utah Valley University, which is kind of next door. Right. Um, but they both that's the funny thing. They both had um, the top two world championship ballroom dance teams. Right. Really? Um, that, that's what drew you in, huh? <laughs> that's what drew me in. Yeah, I actually I was a horrible dancer in high school, but then I started to do ballroom dancing in college and transferred over to Utah because they had the two best teams. And oh, wow. I got bored being, staying a week at BYU. I'm like, oh, hey, that place sucks. I'm going to this other place. I've never even been there. I'll just go to that other university, right? And in fact, they're the ones that won Dancing with the Stars about 10, 12 years ago. Um, and a lot of those were the people that actually helped train. Like I was even coaching their team a little bit. Wow. And uh, it's funny because I went there. I was, I was, you said a sociology major, right? Yeah. But I was also a triple minor in ballroom dancing, Japanese, and psychology. Oh, well, that's so, uh, those just go so well together. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so I was kind of a renaissance man of sorts, you know, and that's always, it's been my gift and my bane at the same time, you know, but, uh, but yeah, like my whole intention was to become a business owner and to essentially become a business consultant to teach people how to, you know, get their businesses to be more efficient, walk out with a big check and move on. Well, I figured if I'm going to be a business consultant, shouldn't I have real life business experience? So I said, all right, you know, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I, I dropped out with one class to go for my bachelor's, dropped out and was trying to figure out what to do as a business. And the first one that came up that intrigued me was being a financial advisor, like the mainstream, you know, salesman in a suit, financial advisor, right? Commission only. I didn't know anything about money really other than like, you know, I took a, like a few banking classes in high school and stuff. So I know how to write checks, which is right. totally applicable in today's world. Um, so so I, I went that fax route. Those in. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's right. You got a fax man, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I started doing that and I really liked that. I liked being my own boss, right? Um, I wasn't great at it. That's the thing. I still had a learning curve. I sucked at business for, for several years, you know, but I enjoyed it. So I stayed dropped out of college and never went back. Um, I did try to go back five years later, but then they wanted me to take a year and a half of school. And I said, forget that, you know, sociology majors don't make that much money. But I, I was a financial advisor, that traditional mainstream one for four years. And I'll tell you, like when I was working that agency and stuff and working that brokerage, um, you know, I, I like evidence. I like to know that things work. And over time, I started to realize, I said, wait a minute, the people I'm getting, like the ones I'm helping, as well as the ones I've had decades of advice before, aren't financially free. Mm-hmm. And it kind of bugged me, right? Because I was like, well, why aren't they doing it? And I realized the stock market wasn't as high as they said it was. It's, it's only returning on average about 8.3% for the last 30 years, which is good. That's a high average, right? Usually it's around seven to eight percent. Well, you know, the market wasn't doing ten or twelve like I thought it was. Um, on top of that, inflation's higher than the government tells us it is, right? We see that even today, especially with the real estate game. You know, so we're seeing all this stuff that I realize that the numbers don't add up, and people aren't becoming financially free. In fact, it's impossible to become financially free saving your wealth in mutual funds, right? And uh, and that's but again, I was like, well, still, like my pocketbook's tied to it. Well, flash forward, end of 2005, I'm talking with a friend that I trained in that business that left to go do real estate investing. So him and his dad partnered up to do like flips and things like that. Well, guess what? We talk and I think he's going to be broke, right? Nope. Opposite happens here. He's, I was like, oh, how are things going? He said, man, things are amazing. My dad has actually doubled his income from being a professor, actually in that, in that case at BYU, right? Ooh. So he doubles income doing real estate versus being a wow. professor. Wow. I said, that's only been four months. He's like, I know. And I, of course, said the usual thing that most people say, especially with us in real estate, which is, well, that's too good to be true, right? right? And uh, he's like, hey, we're doing it. And so we got this argument, what's better, stocks or real estate? And he finally stopped me and said, Chris, how many of your clients are financially free where they don't worry about money? Not retired, but they're not worrying about money. I said, none. And even the retired ones worry about money, especially if you turn on CNN, you're going to worry about everything, right? Yep. He's like, well, that's not good. Good job, Chris. How about this? How many of your, how many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing the investing you've been recommending? This would be very much like asking that you know, get you guys realtors saying, hey, are you actually buying real estate? Or are you still renting out of your parents' basement? Right? Like right. that kind of thing. Right. And uh, he's like, well, how many of you guys are financially free off the investments, not off the commissions? And I thought about it. I said, well, even those guys from the late seventies, they're still working their tails off, you know, and they've been doing it for 30, 40 years. So maybe none. He said, there is your problem. I was like, well, give me the answer. He's like, I won't give you the answer. You just got done arguing with me, Chris. Why would I give you the answer? 
well, come on, give me something. He's like, all right, if you're really serious and I don't think you are. So the perfect takeaway reverse psychology on me, right? Like right. he had me salivating and he wasn't even selling anything. That's a great thing. He just was, you know, pissed off. So, um, so he says, no, he's like, Chris, go get this book. Who took my money by Robert Kiyosaki, which says that mutual funds stink. Uh, I just saved you three hours on audiobook. Um, and then go listen to this radio show on AM talk radio with these two real estate investors. Right. And I did. And it got me hooked. And the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm quitting by March of 06. I quit being a financial advisor. I just went to go be a mortgage broker because in 2006, anybody could be a mortgage broker. Right. Right. <laughs> if you remember those days, that was that fun. That turned out well, didn't it? <laughs> that went, yeah. Stated income for everybody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I did that and I was teaching ballroom dancing at the college and stuff just on the side. Uh, but I wanted to know how they did it. And so I started following some of the footsteps of these guys that were retired millionaires, some of their 20s and 30s. And long story short, I, was, I became financially independent the first time by the summer of 2006, which shocked me. I didn't think it would be that easy. I was, I was thinking I'd have to scrimp and save until I was 40 to then finally live on the interest of my mutual funds, save up $2 million and live on really less than the interest, right? And then I might have a 60,000 a year lifestyle after saving up 2 million bucks. And... Uh, and it wasn't that way at all. It was always about the cash flow. It's about how do you get passive and or residual income coming in where your money works because you, you know, for you versus you always working for money. I mean, long story short, I mean, just so you know, the second time I retired, the only reason there was a second time is because I screwed up, right? I basically went through the last recession. I started gambling on my real estate instead of focusing on cash flow, which got me there in the first place. I started getting wow. a little prideful and a little sloppy. Yeah. So between that and business and everything else, I found myself in the hole over a million bucks and had to dig my way back out of that. And talking about trying to struggle with scarcity and such, that was a mm -hmm. huge time, but didn't fall for bankruptcy, but I did come back where by the end of 2016, I was financially independent. Great. And so you're talking, so this financial independence and the cash flow is really from your real estate investing. Yeah, exactly. Real estate investing and then also residual income from your business, right? So like with you guys, like now, if you're not a broker, I mean, it's a little bit tougher, especially if you're an agent, right? But you know, I learned one thing I learned in the mortgage business that was interesting is that, you know, when you're in scarcity, you think that you got to take 100% of everything, right? So if I was a mortgage broker, I'd have to do it all and get 100%. If I was the life insurance guy, I have to do it all. If I was selling mutual funds, I'd have to do it all. You know, I wouldn't split deals with people very often. Well, one of the ideas I got from one of those millionaires, he asked me, because he, he went to the core. He said, if money were no issue, what would you spend your time doing? And that time, you know, at first I said, well, I'd probably travel. He's like, really, Chris, you're going to spend 52 weeks out of the year traveling. That's not going to exhaust you. And I said, okay, now it's a little extreme. You're right. What would you really do, Chris? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I love teaching dance. Like I love teaching. I would probably teach ballroom dancing. He's That's like, awesome. well, let's do that. You know? And he's like, do you like doing mortgages? I said, well, I like teaching. Again, I always love teaching. That's my main thing, right? I love teaching them and getting them the strategy, but mm -hmm. I hate, hate paperwork. I hate dealing with that. And you guys deal with more paperwork than I deal with. You no, know, we even don't. today. No, we don't. <laughs> We're smart like that too. We leverage yeah. everything. Aaron and I do what we love and the team does all the rest, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right? I don't know how mortgage brokers do it. I would make me nuts. Oh yeah. Well, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. We, we, we now have DocuSign. We have all this yeah, you know, technology yeah, yeah. that makes it so much easier than it used to so be, right? But, uh, but yeah, that's why I, but I said, yeah, I hate doing the paperwork. He said, find someone who loves doing it. Right. I said, does anybody love doing paperwork? He's like, there are nerds out there that do. There are. Excel. Yeah. yeah. People like that. Right. Yep. 
And so I found a guy and I said, hey, if I refer business to you, you know, and, and basically they're already ready to, to do the mortgage, you just have to do the application and all the underwriting, everything else. Would you split me 50-50? And the guy said, yeah, of course, because he didn't want to have to market. That wasn't his gift. I said, great. I'll teach them. I'll send them up to you. You know, say, great. Now match them up with whatever kind of you know mortgage we want to set them up with. And voila, a month or so later, I'm getting a check for a thousand, fifteen, two thousand, hundred, you know, two thousand, hundred, <laughs> two thousand bucks, whatever. There were small mortgages back then when the prices were lower, right? But I was still making at least a thousand to two thousand bucks per deal. And I might have spent a half an hour with them. Sure. And that got my brain going. I was like, what else can I do? How can I create more leverage? Right. So, yeah, I was doing real estate investing, but I realized my business, because I, I, I quit being a financial advisor, I didn't want people to come to me for financial advice, but they were still asking me questions. Right. So I said, well, if you keep asking me these questions, may I refer you to somebody who will do that stuff? And I'm like, cool, can we work out a deal? Can we work out a referral relationship? If, you know, if it's like a, an attorney, you can't do that very, very well, right? Because they've got their licenses and stuff. So you don't do it for those kind of industries. Same thing with you know, brokering real estate, right? If you're not real estate licensed, don't do it with a real, realtor, you know? But if you are, like, can we leverage people? So that's kind of how it sped it up because I had money coming in from there and I had money coming from investments. And it was like this one-two, kind of this one-two punch. And what, and so what'd you do with it? So one of the things, I mean, Aaron and I both love, love, love EXP. We changed brokerages because uh-huh. there's so much into passive income, which we adore. Yeah. But we have two avenues. You know, we have our stock in the company that we are mm-hmm. growing that they, they give us and we buy at a discount. But we also have revenue share, which is any deals of anybody, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then what did you do with it? Did you take all of your monies that came in and put it back into the real estate game? Uh, yeah, that's what I started doing. I mean, I was certain. I mean, now I started to do things like I finally bought a car, you know, things like that, you know. Um, so I spent some of it. You know, I started to increase my lifestyle. But yeah, I mean, it was like I've got money coming in more than I ever experienced before, which was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I was working only a few hours a week you know, right. doing that kind of stuff that it was like, I was working the four hour work week before Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week, yeah. right. Or, yeah. or co-authored the book with me on that, that entrepreneur on fire book, you know? So that's the thing is that it was, it was such a huge epiphany that it was always about streams of income. How do you get that money coming in regardless? And, and I didn't know about like, you know, doing that in an agency because I had the ability in my, as a financial advisor to do the same thing and hire people and create an override off that and stuff. But it was always focused around me. When I started to switch it around, like the key thing I learned from these guys, it wasn't about the strategy. The strategy was the natural byproduct. It was always about the principles. What are those true principles that work in business with money always, right? right. What are those eternal never die principles? Right. So the one that I, I kind of internalized was dollars follow value. You know, right? It's like the more you try to create value, like add value in people's lives, serve them, solve problems. If you focus on that, not on the money part, if right. you focus on trying to serve people and solve problems, Money is an easy natural byproduct. It's simple. And it's formulaic. And it was so simple and so easy. I'm like, whoa, money's flowing in way faster than it was me just trying to, you know, have that, you know, like we were talking about before we got on the air, that commission breath, right? Where yeah. you're reeking of it. And people are like, I don't know why, but I just don't feel right about it. And I'm like, why not? It makes sense. Come on. You know, right. here's my business card. <laughs> you know, like start flying at them, you know, it's cutting them up. And, you know, you don't want that, you know, so you really want to come from that abundant mindset. And, and a service mindset. And when that happened, it was so easy to make money and I didn't have to work hard to do it. I guarantee you, if you come from a place of scarcity, you will work at least three, four, five times harder making the same money as you would versus coming from an abundant state of mind. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, that training our agents, agents 
you know, the new agents and, and having people get into that world around, you know, abundance and that there's plenty of business, that you're not going to do business with everybody. You don't need to do business with everybody. You can do business with the people you want. There's more than enough, right? There's yes. more than enough slices of the pie out there, you know? it's Even in this market. <laughs> all the time, everywhere in life, life is abundant. I really do. I don't, it's not even like I believe that. Like, I don't believe in gravity, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't have it's like that. So, yeah. It's just what is, you know, that there really yep. is plenty. I, I think it's great. When you look at what do you say to people or, you know, how do you empower others? How do you, what do you say to empower team leaders to empower others or with your team, any conversations you have around that, like to um, really either free people up so that they are focused on abundance or Uh just to have them become more effective. Yeah. Now I'll tell you, like, I'm not the greatest team leader in the world, you know, like I'm really good at being like that individualist, you know, like that person that just kind of takes it on. I do my thing and do my specialty, my, my niche, you know, my, you know, really my divine genius. Right. Mm-hmm. And then let them do theirs too, you know, but, uh, but I think the thing that's really common is that one, you got to live, you know, live with what you want to attract, right. You got to be that person. You know, I'm always amazed that, you know, I, I remember used to, I used to attract just fakers, right. Like just total posers, you know, um, it was like Bon Jovi in the eighties, kind of a poser, not really a rocker, but you know, he looks good. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'll admit that was the first music I bought when I was a kid, but uh, it was Bon Jovi. But, uh, but you know, that, that's the thing is like, you don't want to be a poser and a faker, you know, cause if you, if you do, you attract other posers and fakers. And so you, you become who you want to attract on your team and who you want to inspire. You want somebody who's abundant. You want somebody who's, uh, someone who's actually going to willing to take responsibility you have to be that person first because mm. if you don't, nobody else will. And so that's what I've noticed. Like, I mean, I'm actually hiring a new CMO for my company right now. And, and I'm blown away at the candidates and, and the ones that don't want to work with me, which I'm happy with because we just don't jive, you know, like right. you want that culture to fit. You want, you want to make sure that you guys value the same yeah. things. You don't have to be carbon copies, but you do want to have people that value what you value, have a vision of where you're going. And then, course match up on the characteristics too which i just tell you like those internal characteristics of like that that grit right that perseverance you you can't you can't really train somebody for that you know you can't really say hey are you persevering or not you know it's just if you're that person you will naturally gravitate to those people and they will gravitate to you and so the best way to create the best team is you be the first and foremost the best team member yourself yeah it's great All right. Well, I have a question for you. What's an action that you take? You know, I know for myself and I think Aaron as well, we have a particular morning ritual to get ourselves set up for our day. What's an action you take every day that you think contributes to your success? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's the same action I did when I was over a million dollars in debt, trying to figure out how to get out of that hole um, with, uh, you know, I was in the hole like 16,000 a month. I was short between my business and my personal expenses and versus my income. Um, I do a daily routine. You know, everybody has their own version of it, like their morning ritual, Tony Robbins calls his the hour of power, right? Um, I call it power hour. But for me, I, I do that morning routine where I focus on what I call the three E's. You know, there's exercise, education, and enlightenment, mm-hmm. you know? So like, for example, I, I got to get up. I, I can't do the enlightenment first because I'll fall asleep. 
you know, right. so I can't like meditate. I can't pray and that right. kind of stuff. So I'll exercise, get my body and my blood pumping. Um, then when I exercise, a lot of times I will pray or I will do like prayers of gratitude, just giving thanks for everything I can possibly count, like count my blessings, right? There's not much better way to get yourself in such an abundant state of mind than just having that prayer of gratitude, you know? You know, also like, you know, like I said, meditation, prayer, you know, going in the education side, you know, even while you're exercising, you could be doing things like audiobooks. You could be listening to podcasts like this right here, you know, like just feeding your mind as well as feeding your spirit while, you know, really improving your body. And by the way, just because I'm, I'm like doing marathons and training for that doesn't mean you have to go do something crazy on the exercise side. It could just be a brisk walk in the morning, you know, just something to wake yourself up and be alive. Do that. Don't don't go for like the stupid cup of coffee first thing in the day because that doesn't work. Like so many people roll out of bed. They don't do anything. Right. They just kind of roll out of bed and just start hitting the ground running. They're answering their emails or checking to see what drama got created by what lender or appraiser or whatever it might be. Right. Like you don't want that. Like you got to start it out right, not being in tune with that, right. getting a win on your chart. Do that first, and then everything else just falls into place. It's almost like it just like magic. It's it's beautiful. That's great, Chris. I mean, that is funny because that's exactly how we start our day as a team. You know, after yeah. our my morning, you know, Personal, yeah. miracle morning. You know, that that's yeah. that's certainly what I do. Um, but then we get on our team huddle. And the first thing we do is wins from yesterday. All we want to do is hear about the wins from yesterday. And I never put it exactly. I didn't have it the way you're saying it, like connected to intention of starting the day with that. But that is really why we do that. And the opportunity of doing that is to have wins be present for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's really great. And I think that's a really important way to empower others is, you know, have them get present to where they are winning. Build yes. from there. Build from what's working. That's yeah. true. I should probably make that requirement. My teams, like you guys, every morning you got to be doing this. If you're not, you know, we're already losing. <laughs> it really yeah. is, though. You know, it's interesting because we, um, you know, obviously, you know, we do this podcast, and every single person we talk to, this is for uber successful people. We don't just have anybody on here, right? And every yeah. single time, everybody has a morning ritual. Oh, yeah. Every time without fail. Nobody, I just don't think you're going to meet somebody that rolls out of bed at 8.30, grabs a cup of coffee and reads email for a half hour and is successful. It's just, it's no. not the way to be when you're a baller. You've got to get your mind right. Yeah. Yeah. By the time you wake up, especially if you're just dragging out of bed and you're just drinking your cup of coffee and then you drive to work, probably on an empty stomach or whatever it might be, or a quick mm-hmm. breakfast. I mean, it takes you almost till past lunch before you're finally productive. And by right. that point, you're like at two o'clock, you're like, I got a few hours. I got to start cramming it in. And then you become a baller. But if you can be a baller first thing in the day, and then you just kind of coast and and just sail, you know, like that little, it's like pedaling a bicycle, right? It's really hard to pedal at first. But once you get it going, it's like, okay, now I just keep that steady pace. It doesn't feel as much exertion, but I'm going fast. Yeah. We always look at it like, the you know, rocket ship. If it's off a degree at launch. Yeah. You know, you're never, never going to get there. So getting your day started on point. Mm Mm-hmm you know, makes the difference. Very cool, Chris. I really, you know, obviously you give a lot of advice and your podcast and your show, and that's, you know, you're the anti-financial advisor, you know, even people. Yeah. Listen to What's the best advice you ever got? The best advice I ever got. Huh. Ah, <laughs> I, I mean, other than that dollars full of value. I mean, that was, that uh-huh. changed my whole life, my whole uh-huh. being, because I was always a giver, uh-huh. but it was not just about being a giver. It was also about being a receiver too, but always trying to over deliver right? You know, give more value than what I expect in return. But the key was I had to also ask in return. Mm. You know, that was the key. Because imagine if I went to that, that other mortgage broker that was doing all the applications saying, 
like, hey, I don't need anything. Just help me out, you know, or I'll just take 10%, 20%. Like, no, like I was willing to split it 50-50 like it was a partnership, you know, which was bold for me to do at the time because, you know, I didn't want to share anything, but I didn't want to ask for anything either, right? Yeah. Um, I was I was, the more, I was the mortgage broker that was always trying to cut my commissions down to like a quarter or a half percent origination. And the crazy thing is, is that when I did that, and again, coming from a place of scarcity and that, that zero sum game that someone has to lose, someone has to win. Yep. When I came from that state of mind, it's ironic that they would always shot me. But right. when, I, when I actually started partnering with the other guy, we said, hey, our standards, we just charge 1% origination like the rest of the industry, right? Which is like what you guys do. You okay. guys actually have a little bit more strictness on it, right? But for us, we didn't. And we were like, well, whatever. Well, I was like, yeah, okay, we'll do 1%. The ironic thing is, is that I got more referrals and better positive feedback charging double or more than what I was charging before trying to give people the best deal, right? And that was an epiphany for me because I realized it wasn't about, you know, win, lose, that zero sum game. It's actually about creating that win, win type of scenario. Like always like, how do I serve people and show up in a way that we all win, you know, and, and that's the way the world should be. So even though I teach a lot about passive income and investing and all that kind of stuff, it always comes back. To, it really, I, my clients have even said the same thing. They said the biggest difference for their lives wasn't the fact that they made an extra four or five, 6,000 a month or more or a hundred thousand a year of passive income within the first year or two for them. It was about simply how do I become free? How do I become abundant where I feel free? And I actually live this life of abundance. That was the thing that for them changed their life. The numbers, we're just a support, but the real change happens internally. That's great. And when people come to work with you, what's the, you know, what's the pathway to working with you and what is it that you provide? What kind of counseling or coaching or advice do you give? What's the various modes you use? Yeah. So I have two separate branches in my business. You know, um, I added one after the last time I was, I became financially independent. That is more like around life insurance, infinite banking, if you've heard that kind of thing, but actually using that with real estate investing where the money pays you twice, you double dip any of this double arbitrage, right? So I have this infinite banking thing that I do. A lot of people come to me from YouTube or my podcast on that. Mm-hmm. And, and then I also have on the other side, like consulting, you know, like, you know, helping people figure out, map, map a way to become financially free themselves. I'll tell you from a business owner's perspective, especially, even though I'd say two thirds of mine are now like high paid W2 employees. They're like IT managers, pharmacists, optometrists, dentists, doctors, chiropractors, mm-hmm. people like that. Even though a lot of those people come to me the, the interesting thing is that the business owners, I find the most fascinating, right? Because with them, I mean, you, you one, you have control of your income to some level or another, right? Sure. But, uh, but what's so cool is not only having that abundance mindset helps them, but when you start to create passive income streams outside of their business, and, and I actually said this to John Lee Dumas on Entrepreneur on Fire recently, I said, you create those, out, you need multiple streams of income. Like if you have only your practice, like your practice, if you're like a doctor, dentist, or your, mm-hmm. your agency, right? Your brokerage where you're working as a realtor, if that's all you have, you're trapped. Like you need the money. Every person you talk to, you look at as, hey, I need the money from you. But when you have multiple streams of income coming in that are passive outside of that, it's amazing how you come from a place of power. Because mm. when you show up, you're like, you know what? Honestly, I don't actually have to have you as a client. That's right. I don't no need commission you. breath because I got to come in and here and there and here and there. Yeah. And you don't have to do it from a place of arrogance because then you just attract the wrong people and you repel the right ones. Right? right. But if you come from a place of like, you know what? I'm good. Like I'm relaxed. You know, I, I don't need it. I'm confident. I know I'll do a great work for you. I'll serve you. I'll do a great job for you. When you show up that way, it's amazing. When you don't need the money, that's yeah. when everybody wants to pay you money. 
Right. That's when everybody wants to do business with you. It's when you need money the most. That's when nobody wants to do business with you. It, so it, if you yeah. create that freedom, it, it's huge. You know, you'll make more money all around. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, it it comes down to it shows up in banking. You know, when we <laughs> do when I do my first time homebuyer classes and we talk about yeah. credit and loans and. Yeah, banks will lend you money when you don't need it. That's a, just an operating principle. But that's not even an operating principle of banks. It's how you would lend money to someone you knew. If you knew they were late in paying their money or they couldn't borrow money from anyone else, you'd be less likely to lend them money. Yep. It's just, and then there's the energetic, the universal principle yeah. that you're speaking to, like, and the confidence that you put out and all that. It's, it's all tied together. It's really, really. Yeah. And there's got to be certainty around your money too, right? Like you, you really just like, like I'm seeing a lot of people right now, they're becoming gamblers and they're calling themselves investors, right? Like I can't tell you how many of my, my real estate friends are like, I'm doing Bitcoin. This is the time. I'm like, you're, you guys like you're full crap. Like real estate alone is amazing. Like that's usually the number one thing I have my clients invest in is buying like long-term rentals, turnkey real estate where they're not the property manager, right? Um, sometimes it's like apartment syndications or whatnot or funds that around that or lending, hard money lending in the real estate space. It could be franchises or land, but it's it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm By the way, I'm anti-stock market. I think the stock market is stupid, right? Like um, I, I used to teach people how to trade stocks and options and I would tell all of them that they're not investors, they're gamblers because they have no control over their investments. They're literally just guessing. It's like, you ever remember watching Robin Hood Men in Tights, you know, with yeah. Mel Brooks movie? Like, you remember Blinken, the blind guy? He's up on the watchtower. They're like, what are you doing up there? He, I'm guessing. I'm guessing no <laughs> one's coming, right? It's like, that's what people are doing when you buy in the stock market or in Bitcoin, all this speculative right. crap. But you've got, like, especially if you're in the real estate game, you've got something amazing. And now, it may not be best in your market, your backyard, especially if you're on the western half of the U.S. like I am. Like, you know, rentals aren't great. But I, I buy stuff out in like Alabama or Memphis or North Carolina, and I get great, amazing returns for the price. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that's exciting to me. You know, like that's the stuff that's fun. You know, so when you start to do that, especially if you're a realtor, you should have real estate in your portfolio and you don't have to have millions of dollars, especially if you're in California, which a lot of my clients come from. They're like, yeah, the rental sucks. I'm like, yeah, they do. I hate California. You know, like. Uh, for more reasons than one sometimes, you know, other than the weather, there's a lot of reasons to not like California. But when you look elsewhere and you start putting your eyes out east, you find so many opportunities. You say, wait, I can buy that for 150, right. 180,000 and make how much per month? Like I can make, you know, especially when you're using leverage with banks, it's like, wait, I can make 12% cash on cash return, not including any appreciation, not including tax benefits that I make. And basically I write off everything, um, right. not including even the fact that they're paying down my mortgage for me, right? Like, just those returns of making at least double digit passively is incredible. You know, I, I love it. Awesome. Right. Chris, we really just appreciate your time. Christine, any questions that you want to ask that I didn't ask? Uh, no, I love it. I love everything that you're uh, contributing to people. And that yeah. is what we want. We want this show to be a contribution to people living an abundant life. Yeah, mm -hmm. very much. Okay. So. Oh, very, Chris, very, right. very right. You know, one, one thing I, I always like to ask people is uh, a book recommendation, anything that you has inspired well, he said a couple. He said a couple, right? I did mention Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a oh, lesser yeah, right. known rich dad book. But I will give you one more that just changed my business completely. Mm -hmm. um, and it helped me actually retire that second time, which is called The Pumpkin Plan by Mike oh, Michalowicz. Mike Michalowicz. Have you heard of Profit First? 
Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I've ever read that one. I'm writing it oh, down. I love it. I'm big on Profit First. Profit First changed my life. So oh, yeah. yeah. Profit, Profit First, First yeah. is a great book, especially if you're having a hard time with the finance this part. But right. if you're trying to figure out like in your business, like what's the most productive activities to give you the max ROI in your business? The Pumpkin Plan is just a great book. Like that mental shift I had changed everything. I went from working 50, 60 hours a week in my, my business to bringing it down to like five to 10 hours a week, making more money than I was working 10 times. That's so, great. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, Chris, we really do appreciate your time and you gave it abundantly. And uh, we hope that this makes a difference for, you know, everybody else that's that's listening. And, um, you know, you if for those of you that are tuning in, this is the Abundant Life podcast with Christina Drayson and I'm Aaron Hinden. And we really appreciate your time. Can't wait to hear from you. Let us know what questions you have and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Abundant Life Podcast, brought to you by Christine and Company and EXP Realty, the global online brokerage powered by top agents and cutting edge technology. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Your hosts have been award-winning brokers, Christine Andreessen and Aaron Hendon. For more on them, visit christineandcompany.com.